Esto es Radierewan. This is Radierewan. Heute mit Today with How the Universe Sounds. Wie sich das Universum anhört. Jetzt stellen wir uns einmal vor. Du try to imagine. Lange Möchtest du jetzt was sagen? Du zupst mich die ganze Zeit am Ärmel. Was? Ich verstehe dich nicht. Wie? Was? Was sollen wir machen? Achso, wir sollen jetzt nur heute mal wieder nur in Englisch sprechen, weil die etwas äh, versierteren Kollegen, die Wissenschaftler, die universalen Wissenschaftler, meinst du, die Damen, die sich da damit beschäftigen, weil die auch nur in Englisch sprechen? Ja, gut, dann machen wir das so. Ja, sicher. Ja, klar. Ja, wenn, du, wenn du meinst, dann machen wir das nur so. Gut, ja. Also, um, langer did uh, just a proposal that we just speak in English today. As we have some more into the picture colleagues, in fact, uh, two scientists uh, who will explain us how the universe sounds and what is about uh, all people are talking dark matter and that it's possibly better to Follow the, up the whole thing in English, test in English. Ja, gut, dann machen wir das so. Dann spare ich mir die Übersetzung, das ist auch gut. Und dann versuche ich meine Eingangsgedanken einfach auch äh, nur auf Englisch zu formulieren. Das ist ein bisschen, naja, gut, ich habe mir so schöne Sachen ausgedacht. Gut, dann nur in Englisch. Alright, just in English. Uh, I had some little hints and uh, thoughts only in Bavarian German um, okay so I try to do them in, in English like just imagine just imagine we 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 are the in, in in the universe we want to talk about in the universe right so but you have an you have a picture you have an internal picture about the universe how 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 is that so like just that we what we do know what we are talking about right this is the the the, the, the important part right now now for this hour of Radi Yerevan like like we that we just imagine certain sort of nested fears so that we uh, understand what we are talking about, right? So, like, it's also especially about what kind of time space or space time we are thinking and talking about and what we are mentioning. So, like, mm, just put the earth in the center. It's just like because we are on earth yeah there, there's no other there's no other explanation for that that it's it, it's more to to be able to think about and 
let's start with that. So they, the Earth is in the middle, right? So, and the Moon is more or less only two seconds away. So it's just like ordinary light, yeah. So like it's a, um, it's a it's a picture, yeah. Just uh, two 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 seconds, right? And it's it's like the present. It's like present time. The sun already is uh, in our setting is already eight minutes ago, right? It's not a big deal unless we have some solar flares coming and then you want to try to get out of the way. So that means you want to have a little advance warning, which is possible within eight minutes, but... Okay, it's it's just for the picture, just that we understand what we're talking about, right? So, sun is eight minutes ago, but uh, then you go out to to Jupiter, and um, Jupiter is uh, already forty minutes away. Not only away, uh, I mean it's away, but also ago, right? Because we are now, and so Jupiter is forty minutes ago, and uh, this. Um, what else we have? We have Mars, Mars, uh, and it is already a problem to communicate with Mars because it takes the light already long enough to go there. So um, it's about ten years already. Yes. So, like, if 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 you look, at I mean, it's more than ten years uh, the the Mars, but like like the closest set of stars, it's uh, forty fifty stars around our little Earth centered in this nested sphere, and it is also around uh, 10 years ago, okay? And then we have, uh, okay, what we have, if you really want to go to the galaxy, um, then this is already 1,000 years ago. So if you go for Andromeda, for example, this is the nearest big galaxy, and it's 2 million years ago. And um, to imagine what two million years means, like if you if you took a picture, if you imagine what two million years ago on Earth what meant to be, like there was nothing, there were no humans. So this is somehow the scale of what we are talking today in. How the universe sounds and what is about actually the dark matter? Radi Yerevan. Don't forget, also the universe is a time machine. Oh. 
to consider for a second the very simple fact 
that by far most of what we know about the universe comes to us from light. We can stand on the earth and look up at the night sky and see stars with our bare eyes. The sun burns our peripheral vision. We see light reflected off the moon. And in the time since Galileo pointed that rudimentary telescope at the celestial bodies, the known universe has come to us through light across vast eras in cosmic history. And with all of our modern telescopes, we've been able to collect this stunning, silent movie of the universe, these sort of series of snapshots that go all the way back to the Big Bang. And yet, the universe is not a silent movie, because the universe isn't silent. I'd like to convince you that the universe has a soundtrack, and that soundtrack is played on space itself, because space can wobble like a drum. It can ring out a kind of recording throughout the universe of some of the most dramatic events as they unfold. Now, we'd like to be able to add to a kind of glorious visual composition that we have of the universe, a sort of sonic composition. And uh, while we've never heard the sounds from space, we really should, in the next few years, start to turn up the volume on what's going on out there. And so in this ambition to capture songs from the universe, we turn our focus to black holes and the promise they have, because black holes can bang on space-time like mallets on a drum. And they have a very characteristic song, which I'd like to play for you, some of our predictions for what that song will be like. Now, black holes are dark against a dark sky. We can't see them directly. They're not brought to us with light, at least not directly. We can see them indirectly, because black holes wreak havoc on their environment. They destroy stars around them. They churn up debris in their surroundings. But they won't come to us directly through light. We might one day see a shadow a black hole can cast on a very bright background, but we haven't yet. And yet, black holes may be heard even if they're not seen. And that's because they bang on space-time like a drum. Now, we owe the idea that space can ring like a drum to Albert Einstein, to whom we owe so much. Einstein realized that if space were empty, if the universe were empty, it would be like this picture, except for maybe without the helpful grid drawn on it. But if we were freely falling through the space, even without this helpful grid, we might be able to paint it ourselves because we would notice that we traveled along straight lines, undeflected straight paths through the universe. Einstein also realized, and this is the real meat of the matter, that if you put energy or mass in the universe, it would curve space, and a freely falling object 
would pass by, let's say, the sun, and it would be deflected along the natural curves in that space. It was Einstein's great general theory of relativity. Now, even light will be bent by those paths. And you can be bent so much that you're caught in orbit around the sun, as the Earth is, or the moon around the Earth. These are the natural curves in space. What Einstein did not realize was that if you took our sun and you crushed it down to six kilometers, so you took a million times the mass of the Earth and you crushed it to six kilometers across, you would make a black hole, an object so dense that if light veered too close, it would never escape, a dark shadow against the universe. It wasn't Einstein who realized this. It was uh, Karl Schwarzschild, who was a German Jew in World War I, joined the German army, already an accomplished scientist, working on the uh, Russian front, who I like to imagine Schwarzschild in the war, in the trenches, you know, calculating ballistic trajectories for cannon fire, and then in between calculating Einstein's equations, you know, as you do in the trenches. And he was reading Einstein's recently published general theory of relativity. And he was thrilled by this theory. And he quickly surmised an exact mathematical solution that described something very extraordinary, curves so strong that space would rain down into them, space itself would curve like a waterfall flowing down the throat of a hole. And even light could not escape this current. Light would be dragged down the hole as everything else would be, and all that would be left would be a shadow. Now, he wrote to Einstein, and he said, as you will see, the war has been kind to me enough. Uh, between, despite the heavy gunfire, <laughs> um, I've been able to get away from it all and walk through the land of your ideas. And Einstein was very impressed with this exact solution, and, and I should hope also the dedication of the scientist. Um, you know, this is a, the hardworking scientist under harsh conditions. And he took Schwarzschild's idea to the Prussian Academy of Sciences the next week. But Einstein always thought black holes were a mathematical oddity. He did not believe they existed in nature. He thought nature would protect us from their formation. It was decades before the term black hole was coined. And people realized that black holes are real astrophysical objects. In fact, they're the death state of very massive stars that collapse catastrophically at the end of their lifetime. Now, our sun will not collapse to a black hole. It's actually not massive enough. But if we did a little thought experiment, as Einstein was very fond of doing, we could imagine putting the sun crushed down to six kilometers and putting a tiny little Earth around it in orbit, maybe 30 kilometers outside of, of the black hole sun. And it would be self-illuminated because now the sun's gone, we have no other source of light, so let's make our little Earth self-illuminated. 
And you would realize you could put the Earth in a happy orbit, even 30 kilometers outside of this. Our sun will not collapse to a black hole. It's not massive enough, but there are tens of thousands of black holes in our galaxy. And if one were to eclipse the Milky Way, this is what it would look like. We would see a shadow of that black hole against the 100 billion stars in our Milky Way galaxy and its luminous dust lanes. And if we were to fall towards this black hole, we would see all of that light lensed around it. And we could even start to cross into that shadow and really not notice that anything dramatic had happened. It would be bad if we tried to fire our rockets and get out of there because we couldn't. Any more than light can escape. But even though the black hole is dark from the outside, it's not dark on the inside because all of the light from the galaxy can fall in behind us. And even though due to a relativistic effect known as time dilation, our clocks would seem to slow down relative to galactic time. It would look as though the evolution of the galaxy had been sped up and shot at us right before you know, we were crushed to death by the black hole. It would be like a, um, a near-death experience. Now, we've never seen a shadow like this of a black hole, but black holes can be heard even if they're not seen. Uh, imagine now taking an astrophysically realistic situation. Imagine two black holes that have lived a long life together. Maybe they started as stars and collapsed to two black holes. Each one 10 times the mass of the sun. So now we're going to crush them down to 60 kilometers across. They can be spinning hundreds of times a second. At the end of their lives, they're going around each other very near the speed of light. So they're crossing thousands of kilometers in a fraction of a second. And as they do so, they not only curve space, but they leave behind in their wake a ringing of space, an actual wave on space-time. Space squeezes and stretches as it emanates out from these black holes banging on the universe. And they travel out into the world uh, into the cosmos at the speed of light. Imagine a lighter black hole falling into a very heavy black hole. The sound you're hearing is a light black hole banging on space each time it gets close. If it gets far away, it's a little too quiet, but it comes in like a mallet and it literally cracks space, wobbling it like a drum, and we can predict what the sound will be. We know that as it falls in, it gets faster and it gets louder. And eventually, we're going to hear the little guy just fall into the bigger guy. and it's gone. Now, I've never heard it that loud. It's actually more dramatic. At home, it sounds kind of anticlimactic. It's sort of like ding, ding, ding. Um, this is uh, another sound from my group. 
Now I'm not showing you any images because black holes don't leave behind helpful trails of ink and space is not painted showing you the curves. But if you were to float by in space on a space holiday and you heard this, you, you want to get moving. <laughs> want to get away from the sound. Both black holes are moving. Both black holes are getting closer together. In this case, they're both wobbling quite a lot. And then they're going to merge. And it's gone. Now that chirp is very characteristic of black holes merging, that it chirps up at the end. Now, that's our prediction for what we'll see. Luckily, we're at this safe distance in Long Beach, California, and surely somewhere in the universe, two black holes have merged. And surely the space around us is ringing after maybe traveling a million light years or a million years at the speed of light to get to us. But the sound is too quiet for any of us to ever hear. There are very industrious experiments being built on Earth, one called LIGO, which will detect deviations in the squeezing and stretching of space at less than the fraction of a nucleus of an atom over four kilometers. It's a remarkably ambitious experiment, and it's going to be an advanced sensitivity within the next few years to pick this up. There's also a mission proposed for space, which hopefully will launch in the next 10 years, called LISA. And LISA will be able to see supermassive black holes, black holes millions or billions of times the mass of the sun. We want to be inside the universe, because there's no such thing as standing outside the universe. So imagine you're inside the Big Bang, it's everywhere, it's all around you, and the space is wobbling chaotically. 14 billion years pass and this song is still ringing all around us. Galaxies form and generations of stars form in those galaxies and around one star, at least one star, is a habitable planet. And here we are, frantically building these experiments, doing these calculations, writing these computer codes. Imagine a billion years ago, two black holes collided. That song has been ringing through space for all that time. We weren't even here, you know? It gets closer and closer 40,000 years ago. We're still doing cave paintings. It's like, hurry, build your instruments. It's getting closer and closer, and in 20, Whatever year it will be when our detectors are finally at advanced sensitivity, we'll build them, we'll turn on the machines, and bang, we'll catch it. The first song from space. If it was the Big Bang that we were gonna pick up, it would sound like this. It's a terrible sound. It's literally the definition of noise. It's white noise. It's such a chaotic ringing, but it's around us everywhere, presumably, if it hasn't been wiped out by some other process in the universe. And if we pick it up, it will be music to our ears because it will be the quiet echo 
of that moment of our creation, of our observable universe. So within the next few years, we'll be able to turn up the soundtrack a little bit, render uh, the universe in audio. But if we detect those earliest moments, it'll bring us that much closer to an understanding of the Big Bang, which brings us that much closer to asking some of the hardest, most elusive questions. If we run the movie of our universe backwards, we know that there was a Big Bang in our past, and we might even hear the cacophonous sound of it. But was our Big Bang the only Big Bang? I mean, we have to ask, has it happened before? Will it happen again? Is it possible that our universe is just a plume off of some greater history? Or is it possible that we're just a branch off of a multiverse, each branch with its own Big Bang in its past? Maybe some of them with black holes playing drums, maybe some without, you know, maybe some with sentient life and maybe some without. Not in our past, not in our future, but somehow fundamentally connected to us. So we have to wonder if there is a multiverse in some other patch of that multiverse. Are there creatures wondering about us and wondering about their own origins? And if they are, I can imagine them uh, as we are, calculating, writing computer code, building instruments, uh, trying to detect that faintest sound of their origins and wondering who else is out there. So is the Radierevan. This is Radierevan. Heute mit, today with how the universe sounds. Ja, wie das Universum klingt.
such as the Electron Accelerator at Stanford University just up the road, to study things on the smallest scale. But more recently, I've been turning my attention to the universe on the largest scale. Because as I'll explain to you, the questions on the smallest and the largest scale are actually very connected. So I'm going to tell you about our 21st century view of the universe, what it's made of, and what the big questions in the physical sciences are, or at least some of the big questions. So recently, we have realized that the ordinary matter in the universe, and by ordinary matter, I mean you, okay? Me, the planets, the stars, the galaxies. The ordinary matter makes up only a few percent of the content of the universe. Almost a quarter, or approximately a quarter, of the matter in the universe is stuff that's invisible. By invisible, I mean it doesn't absorb in the electromagnetic spectrum, it doesn't emit in the electromagnetic spectrum, it doesn't reflect, it doesn't interact with the electromagnetic spectrum, which is what we use to detect things, it doesn't interact at all. So how do we know it's there? We know it's there by its gravitational effects. In fact, this dark matter dominates the gravitational effects in the universe on a large scale. And I'll be telling you about the evidence for that. What about the rest of the pie? The rest of the pie is a very mysterious substance called dark energy. More about that later, okay? So for now, let's turn to the evidence for dark matter. In these galaxies, especially in a spiral galaxy like this, most of the mass of the stars is concentrated in the middle of the galaxy. This huge mass of all these stars keeps stars in circular orbits in the galaxy. So we have these stars going around in circles like this. As you can imagine, even if you know, the, know physics, this should be intuitive, okay, that stars that are closer to the mass in the middle will be rotating at a higher speed than those that are far further out here, okay? So what you would expect is that if you measured the orbital speed of the stars, that they should be slower on the edges than on the inside. In other words, if we measured speed as a function of distance, we would expect that it goes down as the distance increases from the center of the galaxy. When those measurements are made, instead what we find is that the speed is basically constant as a function of distance. If it's constant, that means that the stars out here are, are feeling the gravitational effects of matter that we do not see. In fact, this galaxy and every other galaxy appears to be embedded in a cloud of this invisible dark matter. And this cloud of matter is much more spherical than the galaxy themselves. And it extends over a much wider range than the galaxy. So we see the galaxy and fixate on that, but it's actually a cloud of dark matter that's dominating the structure and the dynamics of this galaxy. Galaxies themselves are not strewn randomly in space. They tend to cluster. 
And this is an example of a very actually famous cluster, the Coma Cluster. And there are thousands of galaxies in this cluster. They're the white, uh, fuzzy, elliptical things here. So these galaxy clusters, we take a snapshot now, we take a snapshot in a decade, it'll look identical. But these galaxies are actually moving at extremely high speeds. They're moving around in, in this gravitational potential well of this cluster. Okay, so all these galaxies are moving. We can measure the speeds of these galaxies, the, their orbital velocities, and figure out how much mass is in this cluster. And again, what we find is that there is much more mass there than can be accounted for by the galaxies that we see, or if we look in other parts of the electromagnetic spectrum, we see that there's a lot of gas in this cluster as well. But that cannot account for the mass either. In fact, there appears to be about 10 times as much mass here in the form of this invisible or dark matter as there is in the ordinary matter, okay? It would be nice if we could see this dark matter a little bit more directly. I'm just putting this big blue blob on there, okay, to try to remind you that it's there. Can we see it more visually? Yes, we can. And so let me lead you through how we can do this. So here is an observer. It could be an eye, it could be a telescope. And suppose there's a galaxy out here in the universe. How do we see that galaxy? A ray of light leaves the galaxy and travels through the universe for perhaps billions of years before it enters the telescope or your eye. Now, how do we deduce where the galaxy is? Well, we deduce it by the direction that the ray is traveling as it enters our eye, right? We say the ray of light came this way, the galaxy must be there, okay. Now, suppose I put in the middle a cluster of galaxies, and don't forget the dark matter, okay? Now, if we consider a different ray of light, one going off like this, we now need to take into account what Einstein predicted when he developed general relativity. And that was that the gravitational field due to mass will deflect not only the trajectory of particles, but will deflect light itself. So this light ray will not continue in a straight line, but would rather bend and could end up going into our eye. Where will this observer see the galaxy? You can respond. Up, right. We extrapolate backwards and say the galaxy is up here. Is there any other ray of light that could make it into the observer's eye from that galaxy? Yes, great. I see people going down like this. So a ray of light could go down, be bent, up into the observer's eye, and the observer sees a ray of light here. Now take into account the fact that we live in a three-dimensional universe, okay, three-dimensional space. Are there any other rays of light that could make it into the eye? Yes, the rays would lie on a, I like to see, yeah, on a, a cone. So there's a whole ray of light, rays of light on a cone that will all be bent by that cluster and make it into the observer's eye. If there's a cone of light coming into my eye, what do I see? A circle, 
a ring. It's called an Einstein ring. Einstein predicted that, okay? Now, it'll only be a perfect ring if the source, the deflector, and the eyeball, in this case, are all in a perfectly straight line. If they're slightly skewed, we'll see a different image. Now, you can do an experiment tonight over the reception, okay, um, to figure out what that image will look like, uh, because it turns out that there is a kind of lens that we can devise that has the right shape to produce this kind of effect. We call this gravitational lensing. And so, this is your instrument. Ignore the top part. It's the base that I want you to concentrate. So actually at home, whenever we break a wine glass, I save the bottom, take it over to the machine shop, we shave it off, and I have a little gravitational lens. Okay, so it's got the right shape to produce the lensing. And so the next thing you need to do in your experiment is uh, grab a napkin, draw a little model galaxy in the middle, and now put the lens over the galaxy, and what you'll find is that you will see a ring, an Einstein ring. Now move the base off to the side, and the ring will split up into arcs, okay? And you can put it on top of any image on the graph paper. You can see how all the, the lines on the graph paper have been distorted. And again, this is a, a an, kind of an accurate model of what happens with the gravitational lensing. Okay, so the question is, do we see this in the sky? Do we see arcs in the sky when we look at, say, a cluster of galaxies? And the answer is yes. Well, first of all, the golden-shaped galaxies, those are the galaxies in the cluster. They're the ones that are embedded in that sea of dark matter that are causing the bending of the light to cause these optical illusions, or mirages, practically, of the background galaxies. So the streaks that you see, all these streaks, are actually distorted images of galaxies that are much further away. So what we can do then is, based on how much distortion we see in those images, we can calculate how much mass there must be in this cluster. And it's an enormous amount of mass. And also, you can tell by eye, by looking at this, that these arcs are not centered on individual galaxies. They are centered on some more uh, spread out structure. And that is the dark matter that is, being, that is um, in which the cluster is embedded. Okay, so this is the closest you can get to kind of seeing at least the effects of the dark matter with your naked eye. Okay, so a quick review then, okay, to see that you're following. So the evidence that we have that a quarter of the universe is dark matter, this gravitationally attracting stuff, is that galaxies, the speeds with which stars orbit in galaxies is much too large, it must be embedded in dark matter, the speed with which galaxies within clusters are orbiting is much too large. It must be embedded in dark matter. And we see these gravitational lensing effects, these distortions that say that, again, clusters are embedded in dark matter. Okay, so now let's turn to dark energy. So to understand the evidence for dark energy, we need to discuss something that Stephen Hawking 
referred to in the previous session, and that is the fact that space itself is expanding. So if we imagine um, a section of our infinite universe, okay, and so I've put down four spiral galaxies, okay, and imagine that you put down a set of tape measures. Okay, so every line on here corresponds to a tape measure, horizontal or vertical, for measuring where things are. If you could do this, what you would find that with each passing day, each passing year, each passing billions of years, okay, the distance between galaxies is getting greater. And it's not because galaxies are moving away from each other through space. They're not necessarily moving through space. They are moving away from each other because space itself is getting bigger, okay? That's what the expansion of the universe or space means. So they're moving further apart. Now, um, and what Stephen Hawking mentioned as well is that after the Big Bang, space expanded at a very rapid rate. But because gravitationally attracting matter is embedded in this space, it tends to slow down the expansion of the space, okay? So the expansion slows down with time. So in the last century, okay, people debated about whether this expansion of space would continue forever, whether it would slow down, you know, will be slowing down but continue forever, slow down and stop, asymptotically stop, or slow down, stop, and then reverse, so it would start to contract again. So a little over a decade ago, two um, groups of um, physicists and astronomers set out to measure the rate at which the expansion of space was slowing down, okay? By how much less is this expanding today compared to, say, a couple billion years ago? The startling answer to this question, okay, from these experiments, was that space is expanding at a faster rate today than it was a few billion years ago. Okay? So the expansion of space is actually speeding up. This was a completely surprising result. There is no persuasive theoretical argument for why this should happen. Okay? No one was predicting ahead of time this is what's going to be found. It was the opposite of what was expected. So we need something to be able to explain that. Now it turns out in the mathematics, you can put it in as a term that's an energy, but it's a completely different type of energy from anything we've ever seen before. We call it dark energy, and it has this effect of causing space to expand. But we don't have a good motivation for putting it in there at this point, okay? So it's really unexplained as to why we need to put it in. Now, um, so at this point then, what I want to really emphasize to you is that, first of all, dark matter and dark energy are completely different things, okay? There are really two mysteries out there as to 
what, what makes up most of the universe, and they have very different effects. Dark matter, because it gravitationally attracts, it tends to encourage the growth of structure. Okay, so clusters of galaxies will tend to form because of all this gravitational attraction. Dark energy, on the other hand, is putting more and more space between the galaxies, makes it the gravitational attraction between them decrease, and so it impedes the growth of structure. So by looking at things like clusters of galaxies and how they, um, their number density, how many there are as a function of time, we can learn about how dark matter and dark energy compete against each other in structure forming. In terms of dark matter, I said that we don't have any, you know, really persuasive argument for uh, dark energy. Do we have anything for dark matter? And the answer is yes. We have well-motivated candidates for the dark matter. Now, what do I mean by well-motivated? I mean that we have um, mathematically consistent theories that were actually introduced to explain a completely different phenomenon, okay? Things that I haven't even talked about, that each predict the existence of a very weakly interacting new particle. So this is exactly what you want in physics, where a prediction comes out of a mathematically consistent theory that was actually developed for something else. But we don't know if either of those are actually the dark matter candidate, okay, one or both, who knows, or it could be something completely different. Now, we look for these dark matter particles because after all, they are here in the room, okay? And they didn't come in the door. They just pass through anything. They can come through the building, through the earth. They're so non-interacting. So one way to look for them is to build detectors that are extremely sensitive to a dark matter particle coming through and bumping it. So a crystal that will ring if that happens. So one of my colleagues up the road and his collaborators have built such a detector and they've put it deep down in an iron mine in Minnesota, okay, deep under the ground. And in fact, in the last couple of days announced the most sensitive results so far. Um, they haven't seen anything, okay? But it puts limits on what the mass and the interaction strength of these dark matter particles are. There's going to be a satellite telescope launched later this year, um, and it will look towards the middle of the galaxy to see if we can see dark matter particles annihilating and producing gamma rays that could be detected with this. The Large Hadron Collider, a particle physics accelerator that will be turning on later this year. It is possible that dark matter particles might be produced at the Large Hadron Collider. Now, because they are so non-interactive, they will actually escape the detector. So their signature will be missing energy, okay? Now, unfortunately, there's a lot of new physics whose signature could be missing energy. So it'll be hard to tell the difference. And finally, for future endeavors, 
There are telescopes being designed specifically to address the questions of dark matter and dark energy, ground-based telescope, and there are three space-based telescopes that are in competition right now to be launched to investigate dark matter and dark energy. So in terms of the big questions, what is dark matter? What is dark energy? Big questions facing physics. And I'm sure you have lots of questions, which I very much look forward to addressing over the next 72 hours while I'm here. This is Radi Erevan. This is Radi Erevan. And in fact, if you stay tuned and uh, leave the radio on, you can have questions and address questions much more than 72 hours. You can have questions all the day, all the weeks, all the months long. Yeah, you heard Patricia Burchett at the last lecture. Patricia Burchett was talking about the dark matter. In fact, it is one question. Nobody knows really why it is dark. It could be light. Probably it is even light. So, But light matter doesn't uh, sound so good. I don't know if it's about sounds or is it just about the definition of the sea what Albert Einstein had in mind. Anyway, light matters, dark matters. Before we had Jana Levin she was talking about the sound of the universe. And in fact, this is what we are interested in around Yerevan very much. Especially also in the autumn when it is uh, announced that Radio Rada will transmit and broadcast from diverse places, especially from one studio which will be located in Halle. We had already some notes to that, some broadcasts before, and we will mention that uh, quite often, still, it says Radio Rada will transmit. How does it sound? We clean the universe. How does it sound? We clean the universe. How does it sound? We clean the How does it sound? We clean the How does it sound? We clean How does it sound? We clean the How does it sound? We clean How does it sound? We clean how does it sound? We cling that. How does it sound? We cling that. Universe. How does it sound? We cling that. How does it sound? We cling that. Universe.
This was Radio Yerevan. This was Radio Yerevan. Today with how the universe sounds like. Or do you see the dark matter? Stay tuned. Lassen Sie den Radio eingeschalten. Bis zum nächsten Mal. Der Radio Yerevan. This was Radio Yerevan.